Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. We have a special edition of Experts Only today. I'm talking to Greg Watson, who's been on the podcast in, in the past. But today, we're going to talk about the state of the renewable energy industry and really focus on an upcoming event, which is the American Council on Renewable Energy, or ACORS Finance Forum. It is June 15th to 16th. And you can learn more about the forum at acorfinanceforum.org. We've got a really great group of speakers, including Jigger Shaw, uh, folks from FERC, uh, folks from uh, companies like BlackRock and, of course, Clean Capital. So make sure you go to acorfinanceforum.org and sign up to learn more. It, it, you're going to find some of the most interesting folks in the industry having fascinating conversations about where we're going. And we're going to start off today talking to Greg about just this, this issue. So, Greg, thanks so much for coming back to Experts Only. You bet, John. Really appreciate the opportunity. And thanks for the attention to Acor and to the Finance Forum. Yeah, absolutely. Before diving in, I just want to step back for folks that aren't familiar with, with ACOR and Clean Capital is a, a member. I've been a huge fan of ACOR for a long time. Can you just talk for a second about the organization and I think the important role you play for the industry? Can you do that, John? Thanks again. <laughs> no uh, so we are a uh, membership nonprofit. Our mission is to accelerate the transition to renewable energy. Our members include those associated with virtually all the renewable technologies, so wind and solar, also grid technologies, battery storage, hydro, geothermal, also engaged. And we have the, you know, the developers and manufacturers you'd expect, along with some of the leading electric utilities, uh, really almost every major financial organization that's active in our sector is a member and uh, we we have also the leading off takers, uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Walmart, um, all uh, active and engaged. And, you know, it's a special time. This is really our moment policies we've been working on for years at ACOR and, and more broadly, really, for, you know, for, for much of my career policies I've been working to achieve are kind of front and center. And, and this is the moment really between now and the end of the year to get a lot done. So a lot to talk about at the finance forum and beyond in terms of what's coming, how do we get there, how can we be helpful, and how do we react to you know a very new reality in terms of the kinds of policy support we're likely to see. Yeah, it's interesting. I love the way you sort of frame it. I mean, this, this is our moment. I mean, ACOR has been really at the root of building the foundation for our industry over the last decade, really teeing up to what I've, I, you know, I've talked a lot about this in the show, but really fully believe that this next decade is going to be all about execution and growth to help solving the climate change crisis. I mean, you're in Washington these days. You know, This is f- first uh, on the front burner of every agency. You know, We're really actually for the first time seeing a true all-of-government approach to solving things like climate. You have the infrastructure bill moving through Congress and, and climate is on the front burner. First of all, how do you even keep track of all this stuff? Because there's so much going on. And two, like, what are you sort of most excited about, you know, that we should really be pushing hard on over the next uh, few months? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, 
good staff. Right. <laughs> Fortunately, a lot of good people were relying on at ACOR uh, to get things done, led by our COO, Bill Parson. Uh, and we're uh, in a position right now where, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. And, you know, the question is, where do we lean in? Where can we have the biggest impact? I think for really since the beginning, our sector's kind of lived and died by tax policy. Right. Maybe that'll change. But I think for right now, tax policy remains critically important. And uh, I think that's the leading edge. And we're looking at the Senate Finance Committee uh, moving on a tax package that includes uh, long-term credits for the first time, really something we've never had in our sector where it's not on again, off again. But here's what the tax environment is going to look like in a supportive way for a decade going forward. That's what we're hoping for. And not just for wind and solar generation, but also for important enabling technology like energy storage and for investments in interregional transmission uh, that are going to be so important to our ability to achieve the really high penetration levels we need to address the climate problem. Yeah, let's let's dive into that for a second because I think you're 100 right. Tax is such an important, critical piece of this, and honestly, not everyone in the industry really understands the tax component. Other than know that we need, you know, tax credits or investment tax credits. You know, what to my understanding, you can correct me on all the things I get wrong here, but there's a couple like major moving pieces, right? There's the continuation of the investment tax credit for solar, and possibly going back to possibly 30 percent. There's uh, a push around wind. There's, of course, the energy storage tax credit, which is amazing and on the table. Uh, you got fuel cells on the table that, that are the ex- ex- extension for fuel cells, which were sort of orphaned in the last round of this process. But you also have direct pay, right? Which is, I think, for a lot of the folks in the industry know that we are, uh, there's a co- tremendous amount of demand for, for tax credit capital, but there's not enough supply in many cases uh, to meet the need. So, you know, how are you guys or how is, uh, the conversation in Washington looking to sort of tackle all these sort of different pieces of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, first, just talking about the credits themselves, there's kind of two approaches, I would say. The House has basically looked to provide extensions of current credits for five years or so. That's where they are now. That could, I think that could increase that duration, but that's what they've introduced. The if, we get, if we get just that done, and you view that as a double, or what's you know? What's well, the, I mean, let, let me put the other piece out there because yeah. you sort of need that for the bigger perspective in a way. So, uh, without getting into the weeds, let me let me mention that given how closely divided the Senate is, chances are that some part of this infrastructure package is going to have to be done by what's called a reconciliation process, basically going under special rules for the budget that cannot be filibustered. And that means you can do it with, you know, 50 votes and the vice president, which is how the COVID bill got through, and a reasonable chance that that's where we find ourselves. Tax issues are by definition budget. So it's a, it's a good fit. In the Senate, when they're looking at the tax issues, there is a 10-year window that they can cover in reconciliation. So we could get up to a 10-year extension of the credits. So I mention all that because 
the Senate bill, as introduced, looks like it would provide 10 years of coverage for and and actually combines all, you know, kind of throws out everything old and says, let's create a new tax credit that goes to generation of energy that's carbon free, period. Right. And and provide a credit at the rate of a full value ITC or PTC, investment tax credit or production tax credit. And you can have your choice, but full value. And and you keep it until we have dramatically reduced CO2 emissions from the power sector. So it's fully based on climate, it's technology neutral. So that's one path. And uh, so the House, you know, is really working with bill they introduced in the last Congress, which was a five year extension that was very generous for the last Congress. They'll probably move it more our way before they're done. So it'll be closer to what's in the Senate version. Both bills have direct pay provisions where you don't have to look to a limited supply of tax equity to monetize that credits because there's all kinds of data indicating that the availability of tax equity becomes really a ceiling on how much we can build and how well we can take advantage of those credits. So the House bill, as introduced, has a haircut. So you get 85% of your credit, period, uh, but you don't have to go through the rigor any of the... Yeah, the transactional complications and, you know, pay the cost of tax equity. The Senate bill uh, basically allows for direct pay uh, with no haircut, so full value. Right. So we're certainly very supportive of direct pay because, you know, the numbers we're trying to get to, and that that's our, our target, is to get where we need to be for climate. We've got a healthy, growing industry. That's clear. But can we grow at the rate we need to for climate? That that creates additional challenges. And, and to do that, we can't be limited by the supply of tax equity. So uh, direct pay is really helpful there. Excellent. And then you, you see that from a timing perspective on all the different moving pieces of the bills around infrastructure, where do you sort of see that budgetary piece playing out sort of throughout the summer? And we'll really get color on it in like August, September? Yeah, it's hard to know. Hard to forecast, I mean, we're we're kind of in a play now where there's an effort to achieve a bipartisan legislative effort. Right. I don't know if we'll get there on that. You know, it's going to be tough, it. but there, you know, there's a lot of talk. And, yep. you know, people, you know, there are Republicans that are very much engaged, very much in good faith, uh, it seems. But, you know, will there be 10, which is what you would need to have 60 votes? And would such an agreement be able to cover in a bipartisan way are part of the agenda. I would hope so, but we can't assume that. So probably, you know, if it doesn't, uh, then there's going to be, so that effort plays out for a while. Then there needs to be a budget-related effort on reconciliation, and that probably includes the tax stuff, includes all, you know, the lion's share of our agenda. Right. And so... You know, that would suggest getting started in June through the summer, you know, when this thing really moves, uh, whether it's September or October, you know, hard to know. 
but certainly, um, you know, we're in it and the next six months are critical. Yeah. I'm going to come back to what folks can do other than of course, attending the forum and being, being at the table for this, but to be an active role in helping ACOR and others move the policies we care about forward. Let's sort of parking lot that to the end. I'm going to dive back into the sort of state of the industry a second and use the forum as a, a foundation to do that. Because what I love about the forum is that, you know, it's so focused on finance. Uh, we just dove into taxes, but you know, there's so many major trends moving right now in industry. Obviously, the interest for offshore wind moving forward, you know, the unbelievable growth in ESG investing uh, that we've seen over the last few years, and that's just going to really continue to grow over the spectrum moving forward. You know, looking at what, what is happening in the space today, like what are those trends sort of most excite you of uh, sort of where the industry is going on the finance side? Well, I mean, big picture, you have to say it's pretty impressive that despite competing against extremely low natural gas prices and being engaged at a time when we did not have presidential support over the past right. four years, and in fact, the reverse, you know, had tariffs coming in and then changing and going away and then being reimposed. And so all kinds of uncertainty, you know, uh, bulk electricity, uh, security concerns raised in a very vague way that suggested, you, you know, it was hard to develop. And overall, relatively flat line on power use in the country probably declined last year. Despite all that, our sector grew substantially through the course of the Trump administration. And in 2020, despite all those challenges, and the pandemic, which really set us back, particularly in Q1, it looked like things were going to be really tough. Uh, we ended up with a booming record year, right. over 33 gigawatts uh, brought on the grid of lion's share wind and solar in 2020, and um, split almost evenly between the two technologies, which is really healthy. And the old record was. 23 gigawatts. So you're, you're talking about almost a 50% increase above the old record, not quite, but you know, a big increase. So yeah, uh, there's a, in a tough, in a tough environment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a really impressive when people are struggling and you're sheltering in place and it's hard to get workers and all these things, despite all of that, a really strong year. Uh, and, and, uh, and now we've got, you know, the, December, we saw temporary extensions, a year for wind, two for solar, longer for offshore wind. Uh, and we're, you know, we're set to grow. And then we have all these new policies that really do equip us to be within shouting distance of where we need to be to protect our climate. So yeah. you know, that is tremendous level of growth. But I think, you know, we're we're in the game. Absolutely. And what's interesting to me, too, is, you know, if you look back to, you know, the Obama administration, for instance, the game around what the game has changed. The game has changed in the early days of the Obama administration. We were focused very much on what public dollars we could put out to help really start a nascent industry and get it moving and, you know, start getting in place the blocking and tackling needed to grow. Now, as you just said, we have a an industry that is sort of running on full engines right now. And the, the amount of private capital 
coming this space is by growing by the quarter, which is really exciting. But it also changes what the policy solutions you need going forward are, right? It's not about how to push in you know, public dollars all the time. It's about how to align policies to help unleash the private dollars. What do you sort of expect to hear from some of the speakers at the forum in terms of how do we move, uh, you know, what policies they're expecting or solutions they're expecting to help unleash the capital they, they're looking to bring? Well, the, uh, you know, there's a variety of different perspectives and a variety of sources of capital, as you're, you're well sure, aware. Yeah. So, you know, we'll be, we'll be hearing, uh, you know, from uh, Rich Glick, the chairman of FERC, about, you know, their efforts to deal with uh, better transmission planning and interconnection queues. You know, there's a really critical issue that the, the numbers on how much renewable development has been stymied by interconnection queues are boggling over 700 gigawatts, just, you know, wow. tremendous issue. 700 gigawatts. 700 gigawatts just backed, you know, development that could not move forward because of, you know, long waits, prohibitive cost. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a system that isn't working. So, you know, we need to obviously, whether, you know, not that we're going to realize 700 gigawatts out of that, but it'll be a huge infusion if we can, if we can repair those problems, plan the right kind of grid. Uh, we're going to hear from, uh, as you mentioned at the outset, Jigger Shaw, you know, he's taking a really new approach to the loan guarantee program. He's going to turn right. it into something that's really meaningful yep. for the sector. I mean, I have every confidence and, uh, you know, it's great having him over there. Uh, they've got $40 billion, you know, already allocated. They don't, doesn't need to be appropriated. Congress has given the money's been sitting there. Yeah. So, you know, uh, who better to put it to good use than Jigger, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, that's great. And then, you know, they're, you know, infrastructure funds and, you know, private equity and sovereign wealth funds. And, you know, there's all kinds of capital coming in and there's all kinds of different investments. And there's, you know, a lot of focus and storage, which is just starting to get into the zone where it needs to be. You know, for years, we do our survey and we'll be revealing the results of our latest survey at the conference in June. But year after year, storage is always like, what is it that the investors are most enthusiastic about investing in in the sector? And the last three years, it's been storage or storage and PV tied uh, or storage. You know, it's right. and, And then the investment levels don't nearly match because we know that they're are problems and realizing the real value that storage brings to the market, that the revenue doesn't really reflect that value, a new tax credit is going to change that dynamic. And I so, I'm, you know, I'm confident we're going to hear a lot of talk about the impacts of the tax credit there. Uh, and uh, certainly we expect it to be tremendous. And then there's, you know, there, there's approaches like uh, green hydrogen, which, you know, could really change our sector and what we can do if, if it can be made to work, where essentially you use renewables to create green hydrogen essentially out of water. And then green hydrogen can be used uh, either to power the grid. So it's, you know, it's just a way to store power, which, you know, we need more and different storage. Uh, it can be transported and it can be a liquid fuel. So. Um, 
you know, covers a lot of different bases, addresses a lot of problem and potentially uh, keeps the uh, natural gas infrastructure, which is looking to be a stranded asset in the long term, you know, makes that something that's important, plays a role in our energy security and, and gets kind of buy in from that part of the fossil sector to the transition we're fighting for. So one of the things I've always loved about ACOR, you know, ever since I first started engaging organizations, really, you guys are one of the only industry groups in Washington that actually has also focused on finance. So you had the Renewable Energy Finance Forum for a long time, uh, or the I think you called it I think you called the U.S. Prep. I can't remember the original term of it, um, but it's been at the core of what ACOR has done and focused on for the last decade. What um, if? You know, for, for folks that are listening, if they want to get involved, you know, how do they how do they get involved in ACOR and how do they sort of bring their voice to the table? Well, thanks for that. And and yeah, the uh, the Partnership for Renewable Energy Finance or PREF are the sort of executive level finance players in our sector. There's 31 companies. Uh, most uh, almost all of the major financial institutions in the sector are active in ACOR and if you're listening and you're a finance player, you're not an ACOR, come on in. We want you. Uh, you can find out more at ACOR.org. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have, we have varying participation levels for those who are ready to step up to the executive level. But it, it's, it's a way to engage and to promote the renewable transition without choosing a winner, no particular technology. And, and that's really how we were founded at ACOR was the finance players wanted a technology neutral approach to promoting renewables. And, and that's what we do. And, and uh, you know, new approaches, new financial approaches have made a huge difference over the course of the sector and, you know, allowed for, you know, the use of tax credits, allowed for utility scale solar to really come into its own uh, and we are um, enthusiastic about taking that to the next level. We do have a uh, campaign to achieve a trillion dollars in private sector investment in renewables uh, starting when we launched a campaign in 2018. To get there, we are uh, going to need to increase annual investment by about 60% based on last year's assessment. So we know we need to do better, but it's doable. We're in the game. Uh, and uh, we will be releasing uh, the new results of uh, how far we've come at our uh, finance forum on June 15th. But suffice yeah. to say, you know, we can do it, but it's going to take more. We're going to need more private sector engagement. Yeah, I mean, one of the, for, for companies like Clean Capital and others where we don't have sophisticated policy shops that, you know, are able to do, um, you know, put out the, the, the work or even the manpower to, to really try to influence the, the policies. You know, what we've learned here is working with ACOR and others really is helping us uh, what we like to call the military force multiply, where, you know, you guys have the, the really thought leadership, the, the direction on where we should be going, and we can bring our voice to the table to uh, help at least uh, convince some of the policymakers in the direction we should be going. Well, thanks for that. And, you know, it's our members that make it happen and their engagement, your engagement, you know, makes a huge difference. I mean, that's that's what people in Capitol Hill want to hear from is, you know, people that are in the sector, that, that care about the sector, that are creating jobs 
and investing in our communities. And, you know, the great thing about the renewable sector, it's by definition, it's all domestic right. uh, fuel. And, uh, you know, we're creating a lot of jobs along the way. So, you know, what's incumbent upon us is, you know, I've been talking about, well, we got to have this level of uh, development to protect our climate. We're also living in a world where we've got to power economic growth sufficient to drive a national economic recovery. And we're very focused on that as well. And, and we think that's doable too. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So to go back to the beginning, you know, this is a transformational time for our industry. We're, we're going from four years being a little bit on the defensive to being at the federal level, especially to going on the offensive in an amazing new way. Uh, the next six to eight months are so critical to move these policies forward. Looking ahead for a second it, at the, the finance forum in 2022. Right. If if you know, what are the themes that you want to be really highlighting in the state of the industry at that point? Yeah, at that point, certainly my hope is it's about implementation. You know, it's about, you know, how do we take best advantage of these great new policies we have in the books and these new tax credits? You know, do we have the right guidance that we need? Uh, you know, we got to keep going. Are we creating enough jobs? Uh, are we growing at the level we need to? And uh, you know, fully uh, availing ourselves of the opportunities that are created with the new policies that, you know, we're hopeful of getting done this year. I mean, it's worth mentioning, we have never had a president as committed to growth in our sector as we do today. And, you know, we need to take advantage of the alignment we have right now and, you know, get it done. Yeah, it's a dizzying shift to get on the offensive. And I think uh, you guys are doing a great job leading that. And thank you so much for the, all the hard work you're putting in. Well, appreciate it, John, and really grateful for your engagement and for uh, the opportunity to talk today. Well, hopefully 2022 will be in person. Uh, but for, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but here in 2021, remind of the ACOR Finance Forum's a virtual event. Uh, it's going to be June 15th to 16th. You can make sure to go to uh, acorfinanceforum.org. We'll have a link at the website and sign up, uh, be a part of the event. Make sure you register. Really great dialogue is going to happen there. And make sure you sign up to be a member of ACOR because it's really going to be important for us in the finance community, in the innovation community, those folks on the ground doing this work every day that we can bring our voices to Washington and help push the policies we need. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I want to thank Alex Hobson and the team at ACOR for helping to put this together and our producers, Carly Batten and Colleen Young, as always, for, for uh, helping to put the episodes together. You can get more experts only at cleancapital.com. And as always, I look forward to continuing the conversation. I want to thank all those people too. And and to you, you're you're a great spokesman for ACOR. We gotta figure out a way to do that more. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. We for sure. Well, once once the uh once you get the surveys out, let's go, let's go back and walk through them. All right. Happy awesome. to do that. Stay well. You too. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.